Yes, kids can be dismissed at this time. Caleb is waiting for them. And if you can take up your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 21. We are continuing in our study through the book of Acts. Paul has finally reached Jerusalem here after his third missionary journey. Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 17. We'll read through verse 26. This will be page 930 if you are using the Bibles here. They're underneath the seats in front of you. Page 930 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 17. All right, let's begin with prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, which shows us, Lord, how you have provided a way of salvation for us, to redeem us from our sin, and to make us your people, a people, Lord, who you direct to serve one another. You give us a great example through our Savior. We pray that you'd give us strength to serve each other, even through differences, even through, Lord, our imperfection as a church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 21, beginning of verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them. And pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then... Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. God's Word. Well, perhaps you've heard the proverb about gossip that goes something like this. Someone hears a juicy bit of something about a neighbor, and they begin to spread it around, and before long, the whole town knows, and of course, the slandered person is hurt. 
worse. The gossiper learns that the story was not actually true. And so they go to a wise person and they ask, what can I do to repair the damage? They're told to go to the market, buy a chicken, and have it killed. And on the way home, they pluck off the feathers one by one all the way home. The next day, the wise person tells them, all right, now it's time to go collect all of those feathers. But you see where this is going, right? They're only able to find a few of them. And the lesson goes, it's easy to drop the feathers, but impossible to bring them all back. It's the same way with a rumor. It's easy to spread a rumor, but impossible to undo all the harm. This is an important warning for those who would live in community with others. This is an important warning for a church. But once a rumor's out, how do you respond? How do you fix the damage? Well, here in our text, Paul responds by making himself a servant. This is a wonderfully Christ-centered story here because Christ made himself a servant, even as many lies were told about him and, and continue to be told about him. Paul follows in his footsteps, and we need to as well. For the sake of the gospel, Paul serves the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem by submitting to these ceremonial rules that Christ had freed him from. Why do, we, why do we need Christians who are willing to be servants like Paul? Well, look around. This church is not yet perfect. It has problems. And that's exactly what we've seen as we've been studying through the book of Acts. We've been following along in our series. Again and again, we see the church has problems. It's got divisions. And if no one is willing to serve... This church is going to fall apart. Yet here, Paul serves. Let's, let's work our way through this story, noticing three important truths about God's church then and now. First, God grows his church. My first point, God grows his church. And, and this will be a, a short point, but we need to see it from the get-go, from the very beginning, that God does not require a church to be perfect in order to grow it. This church is not yet perfect, and yet we see phenomenal growth. And, and the church accomplishes its purpose, which is to glorify the Lord, right? Verse 20, they glorify the Lord for this growth. So Paul arrives in uh, Jerusalem with this, he's got his posse of Gentile co-workers with him. You see that we there in verse 17, and the us in verse 18. You have to go back, actually, to chapter 20, verse 4, to see who all is part of this we. He's got guys from all different churches that he's been working with. Jed, can you pull up uh, the map here? I don't know how clear. Yeah, you're going to have to drop some of the lights, too. But So we've, we've got, Paul has a guy, if you drop back to chapter 20, he's got a guy from Berea, which is way out. Whoops. Berea, way out over here in Macedonia. I'm not even going to say, okay, it's right there, uh, Berea. He's got a guy from, two guys, actually, from Thessalonica, down in Greece, Achaia, the Bible calls it. Uh, he's got a guy from Derby, which is way over here. 
He's got a guy from, well, Timothy from Lystra. Now, Timothy, I guess he was half Jewish. Uh, he's got uh, two guys from Ephesus, right, in the, in the region of Asia. Uh, and then uh, the, the we here clues us in that he also has the writer of Acts, Luke, along with him. Now, Luke, we're not certain, but we believe he's from Antioch, which is off the map over here. That was the first Gentile church that Paul planted along with Barnabas. So he's got guys from all over, all these different churches now joining him, coming to meet with the elders of the churches in Jerusalem. And, and verse 19 says that Paul related one by one the things that God had done. That sounds like a pretty specific account. And you can imagine with all these different guys, the stories, the testimonies that they're sharing of God's work and the growth of the church. Really an incredible thing. Paul's doing this in front of what I, I would basically call a, a presbytery meeting. You've got all the elders of the regional church in Jerusalem gathered together. At this point, there's thousands of Christians in Jerusalem, and they would mostly be meeting in small house churches. So uh, this would be a large number of elders, maybe in the neighborhood of 70 or so, all listening to Paul and these representatives from, from the other regional churches, right? The, the regional church of Galatia and Antioch and Asia and Macedon and, and Achaia, these regional churches, they've got representatives all here. And they're gathered together meeting. Okay, Jed, you can take down the map. Uh, on top of this, and Luke doesn't mention this, but we should know this background one of the things that Paul and these representatives are doing is they're, they're bringing a gift to these Jewish brothers. They, they, have, they have pulled together this financial gift from all the different churches, and they're bringing it to the Jewish church. This is an epic moment of, of unity between the Gentile church and the Jewish church. In, in Romans chapter 15, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and we actually learned he was actually kind of nervous about this, whether the Jewish church would accept the gift or not. And he asked that church to pray for it. And, and from what we can see here, they receive these Gentiles and the gift gladly, and then they, they worship God as they hear about everything he's doing and they respond in verse 20, brother, the Lord has been at work here as well. There are thousands among the Jews who have believed. And, you know, some commentators say, oh, this is the Jews. See, now they're playing the numbers game. Your church is growing. Well, ours is growing too. Yeah, we got some visitors. But, but why? Why should we assume? Why should we assume that a competitive spirit motivated these brothers. Luke doesn't indicate it. Let's not assume it. What we have here in the beginning of this text is God growing his church and his believers rejoicing and worshiping him for it. And it's wonderful, and we've got to remember it because the text doesn't stop here. You kind of wish it stopped here, right? It was all done. Great, worship the Lord. Wonderful moment of unity, but the elders go on because churches have problems. And this is the second point we need to see if we're going to have a right view of the church. First, God grows his church. Secondly, the church is not yet perfect. There's a rumor going around about Paul, you see, rumors 
they're painful, they're divisive. Part of the reason I started my sermon with that story about the feathers was just to help you relate to Paul here in this situation. His teaching is misrepresented. A, a false version of what he's teaching is being spread around among these believers. Paul is a teacher. This would be painful for him to hear. They've gone from this glorious time of worship to this petty conversation about a rumor. Right? Paul just, he just worked hard. He traveled all over to collect this financial gift for these people that are gossiping about him. It would be very easy for him to be bitter, to be defensive at this point. But what actually is the problem here? Well, first, these new Jewish Christians, verse 20 says, are all zealous for the law. Now, whenever you read the Bible and you read this word law, right, you got to ask yourself, okay, what law are we talking about? Because usually it refers to a specific branch of the law. We have to figure out what it is by looking at the context. So here, they can't be talking about the moral law, what we might refer to the Ten Commandments, the moral law, because the, that law is not specific to the Jews. It, it would apply to the Gentiles as well. It's not the civil law, uh, because the Jews here, they're under Roman rule. They can't follow all those civil laws that the Lord gave them back in the Old Testament. So what we're talking about here, what these Jews are zealous about, is the ceremonial laws of Judaism. You know, purity laws, sacrifices, festivals, circumcision, right? They even go on to mention specifically circumcision. All these customs that for thousands of years they, their families, have celebrated have participated in. They're zealous for continuing them despite this newfound faith in Christ. And it's important to say, I think, that as long as they're not confused about whether these things are part of how they're saved, this is not necessarily wrong. We've already seen in Acts, right, earlier that Paul in chapter 16, verse 3, he circumcises his ministry partner, Timothy, uh, because it would have been a barrier to, to ministering among the Jews if he had not circumcised him. We saw even, even more recently, chapter 18, verse 18, Paul had cut his hair, right, as part of this Nazarite vow, similar to what we see with these four guys later on in our text here today. So he's not personally abandoning these Jewish practices. But the problem is that these Jewish converts think that he is. And worse, they think he's telling other Jewish converts, you know, in the dispersion, in all these places where he's been traveling, they think he's telling them, you need to forsake these things. Is that true? Is that what Paul teaches? No, he's not saying you have to forsake them, but he does say that Jewish Christians should be flexible about following these ceremonial laws. He does even say these things are irrelevant for your salvation. You can do them, you cannot do them. 
as long as you are not turning them into another gospel, right? That's his big point in the book of Galatians. We talked about this earlier when we looked at Acts chapter 15. He is very strong on that point. Paul writes really a bunch about this topic in various of his letters, and we can't go into all of them now, but I did include a bunch of references at the bottom of your outlines if you want to explore that this afternoon. But the point here is that this this false version of what Paul has been teaching, it's a misrepresentation. He's been circulating through the church, and the elders, they're concerned about how it might divide the church. We can relate. We have problems too. We have gossip. We misunderstand each other. We have division globally as a church around the world. We have these kinds of problems. And locally, individually, as Covenant Church, we have these kinds of problems. We are not yet perfect. That needs to be our expectation as we participate in this community. We enter into the work of relating to each other, uh, expecting that we will find that we are not yet perfect. And that yet part is important too, right? That's a hope. That's an expectation too. We will be perfect, but not yet. On the one hand, this expectation that we ought to approach each other with means we want to make sure we trust the Lord in the midst of our imperfection to continue growing us. We can trust him to do this. He does it for his church. Uh, He does it for this church here in our text, the Jewish Gentile church. They've got some incredible differences they have to work out. Really. Uh, The Jewish Christians, they they do. They've got a lot of growing that they are going to need to do to understand the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, despite their imperfections, which we could see and judge, the Lord is growing them. There are thousands believing in the gospel. Go back to the beginning of the text, my first point. We've got this glorious moment, remember, Christian unity, massive growth, the Gentile church and the Jewish church, the financial gap, uh, this financial gift bridging the gap between the two peoples, ethnic barriers thrown aside. This stuff, it happens in the midst of imperfect, dysfunctional, problematic, gossiping, uncharitable people. God did it for them. He can do it for us. Don't lose hope. Expect that the Lord will continue to grow his church despite our imperfections. On the other hand, we we don't just ignore our problems, right? Because we can just trust that God will grow us anyway. No, of course not. We seek to come up with solutions like these, these elders did. They didn't just ignore this problem. They get right on it. Their first meeting with Paul. Uh, the church, many of the church members don't even know Paul was there yet. We see that hinted at in the end of verse 22. And they take the risk of offering a solution. It's always risky to offer a solution because you might be wrong or someone might have a better one. They may not be doing everything right here. But at least they're seeking to do their duty. They are trying to shepherd. We, likewise, we need to expect that the church will be imperfect, 
trust that the Lord will grow us through these problems and then do our duty, whatever it might be, whether we have sinned or been sinned against, whether we're a member or a leader, whether we are involved in a problem, we're mediating a problem, whether we need to repent or we just need to pray hard for others. Here is what the imperfect church of Christ needs. It needs servants. So let's look at my third point. The church needs servants. In verse 24, the elders of Jerusalem ask Paul to participate in a Jewish ceremony. They want to prove to everyone that he still follows Jewish customs. And from what we can tell, Paul had no problem doing that. Verse 26, he does it. We need to jump into Paul's world a bit to see how difficult this choice might have been. This probably was not his preferred solution. Probably, if Paul were asked, he'd say, you know, let's, let's have a big conference to handle this situation. That's my strength. Okay, you know, we'll, we'll call it how the shredded curtain of the temple rips through your precious family customs. And I'll explain to you guys what I think the place of the Jewish ceremonial law is in the Christian's life. We'll go all week long. I'll lecture eight hours a day. We'll have people falling asleep on windowsills and, and falling off. And by the time we're done, you'll all know I'll have put things straight for you guys, right? I mean, that would probably be Paul's preferred solution. You guys have a feel for Paul's personality at this point. He's a teacher. He's a theologian. At this point in Acts, Paul has written about this issue a bunch already in his letters. He, he, we know what he thinks about this. We can go and explore and see what he thinks about these ceremonial laws and the place they should play. Uh, these guys need some doctrinal correction. Not a nice gesture, paying for some guys to shave their heads. And you know, maybe, maybe Paul's way would be better. But Paul doesn't demand it. He keeps his mouth shut and he follows in the footsteps of his Savior, taking the role of a servant and submitting to the elders of the churches there in Jerusalem. They are, after all, the shepherds of these congregations. You know, it's actually, it's easy for us to judge their actions at the distance of 2,000 years. Come on, guys, you really think this is the best solution? You need a reformation. You need to get up and rebuke these people spreading rumors and then set everybody straight on the place of circumcision and the ceremonial law. But let's not, let's not do that. Let's not judge these elders. We don't know all the details here. And there's nothing to indicate that this solution they came up with doesn't work. I mean, we still get a riot in the next section, of course, but that's <laughs> typical for Paul at this point. And the text does make it clear, verse 27, that it was Jews from Asia who started this riot. Not Jews from Jerusalem. Not, certainly not Jewish Christians. Why does Paul respond this way? Why does he submit to these ceremonial 
laws that he is free from. Why didn't he just stand up and set everybody straight? That's what you want him to do, right? Set these people straight? Well, three reasons we can see when we look at Paul's theology throughout his letters. First, Paul loves his nation, the Jewish people. He loves them. We see this in Romans 9. He longs for them to know Christ more than he longs to be right about everything. Love, that's the core. That is at the core of service, of being a servant. As a result of that love for his people, second, he is willing to sacrifice his freedoms in order to keep the church unified, right? Some of you may think back to when we looked at Acts chapter 15, the council there, we saw that for the sake of mission to the Jews or for the sake of unity between the Jewish and the Gentile church, Christians may need to sacrifice their Christian liberties, their preferences. That's what the church asked the Gentile Christians to do. Paul is willing to do it as well. Are you willing? Thirdly, Paul does not consider correcting people's doctrine to be the priority in this situation. He does other times, certainly, but not here. This is a tough one, right? Because we, we, we want to see people grow. We want to see them understand God's word better. And yet, people need to be able to move slowly on things sometimes. These Jewish Christians, they need to be able to move slowly. Remember, they've been doing these things for thousands of years. This is their culture. This is their family. This is their community. As long as these things are not compromising the gospel and aren't sinful... We can serve them by letting them move slowly. I deeply value the depths of the Reformed theology we have here at Covenant. We have a theological, a thick theological tradition with, with deep insights into God's Word. We got the biblical careful principles of Presbyterianism, government. And I do think making disciples includes teaching people these things because we're told to teach people all that Jesus commanded us to do, not just the bare minimum. But I'm also okay with letting people move, come along slowly, and, and, and maintaining a level of personal humility in the finer points of our doctrine as well. I think that is a true application of Paul's, Paul's theology of the weaker brother, as taught in 1 Corinthians 9. And I, I think this text is a great example of Paul doing that, serving these Jewish believers. There are two things we don't compromise on, and I don't think Paul would compromise on. We don't compromise on the essentials of the gospel. If we do that, we're teaching a different religion. And we don't compromise on sin, because sin destroys people. But see, here is why Paul does not demand his rights. This is the attitude our church needs because we're not yet perfect. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant 
to all, that I might win more of them. Where did he learn this? Who showed him how to keep his mouth closed? His Lord, Jesus Christ. Jesus was truly free from all. God is entirely independent. He doesn't need us at all. He didn't need to save us. Yet he made himself a servant that he might win us. That is a savior to delight in, to be proud of, to follow even when you don't know all the reasons. That is not a savior to resist, but to embrace. You see, the community who recognizes that this Lord who redeems them also calls them to follow in his footsteps will be a church of servants. And though not yet perfect, by the grace of God and for the glory of Christ, that church will grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the way that you worked through uh, the church here, through um, the elders of the church who sought uh, to serve their members, through Paul who sought to serve, through keeping his mouth closed and not claiming his rights. And we praise you, Lord, for this reminder to us. Lord, for we need these reminders that we need to be ready as well to be servants for each other. For, Lord, we are imperfect. We are a church that struggles. And we pray, Lord, that we would be willing and ready to give up our rights to sacrifice them for one another and for the glory of our Savior who showed us the example of service. In his name we pray. Amen.